This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 498. And the quote of the day is, control your thoughts. Decide about that you will think and concentrate upon. You are in charge of your life to the degree you take charge of your thoughts. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. Hey yo, what's happening? This is Nick Ruffini. This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm guessing you already know that because you're listening to this. Anyway, we got almost 500 episodes in the books and they're all free. You can find them on iTunes and Stitcher and all that fun stuff. And we are giving away a ton of gear, including some Dream Symbols. And they support this podcast and they have for a long time. And for the 500th episode, they are part of the giveaway that we're doing. But if you haven't already, I recommend checking out Dream Symbols. They make amazing sounding symbols that don't break the bank. They're great people to work with. They make a quality product. And they're, uh, you know, they're making some waves for sure. And I'm just telling you, check them out. They sound great. They don't cost a lot of money. And uh, you will be happy that you did. So that I can guarantee. All right, let's get into this conversation. This is with Dave Watts from the Motet. And Dave is an originally originally an East Coast guy, but moved to Denver years ago uh, in the in the early 90s, I believe. And he we were talking about the idea of the whole Denver scene that is growing and growing. And I just had Adam Deitch on. If you haven't caught that episode, you should check that out for sure. And Adam was talking about the same thing. There's this mass movement to the Denver area. and But Dave has been there for a while and he was sort of, he was in other bands and then he was doing a little bit of freelancing but wanted to do his own thing. So he started this thing called Dave Watts' Motet, which has grown into just the Motet is what they're called now, but have grown into this huge band. And we talk about all of that. This is really cool because I've had two drummers in two weeks talking about how they took control of their career, how they went out and found the people, how they put the band together and grew it instead of what we as drummers typically do is sit and wait for the phone to ring as sidemen and sidewomen. So I think there is a ton of information in this episode and also in Adam Deitch's episode about growing your own thing. And Dave Dave and I talk a lot about practice, about creativity, about structuring practice, about all sorts of different stuff. So a very eye-opening conversation, a very informative conversation, and I'm happy to share it with you, and I can't wait for you to dig in. So let's not wait any farther. Let's get into it with Dave Watts. Dave, what's happening, my man? How you doing, Nick? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing great, man. Another beautiful day in paradise over here. Yeah. Colorado. Yeah, it's just a bluebird day. We're loving it. You know, how, it's so amazing how many of these episodes <clears throat> start uh-huh. with us talking about the weather. <laughs> Legit. Yeah, well, you like, know, it's like if you spend your, all your days in a studio and in a van, you know, you tend to celebrate when you get like some good weather and you're outside. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty funny how many how yeah. many start that way. It's like what's going on? We're like, oh, it's sunny and sunny or whatever. <laughs> so are you guys in like uh, right now? It's like it's like skiing in t-shirt weather, right? Well, yeah, you can actually still ski in some some spots, but uh, me, I'm on my bike every day, man. Every day I can I get on my bike and get out on the trails and try and get exercise, make right. up for my lack of exercise when I'm on the road. Yeah, of course. So we were. We were talking about off air about sort of this this uh, mass movement from the East Coast 
to Denver, but you've been there for a while. How long, how long have you been there since like the late nineties, right? Well, before that I moved in 94, I think. Okay. Boston. Uh, so, I had a band in Boston and, and uh, we used to tour out here and eventually I just decided to stay. There you go. Yeah. How, yeah. how did, uh, how did it differ then compared to what it is now? Cause it, I feel like everyone <clears throat> I talk to, they're like, Oh yeah, we're moving to Denver and it may be, yeah. Maybe part of the cannabis thing, but I think the the bigger thing is that there's just there's a lot of of music stuff happening there. Yeah, yeah a lot of work. Well, it's always been that way, but um, honestly, in the mid '90s, Denver was nothing. I mean, there was mm-hmm. no scene at all in Denver. We never even thought to go to Denver. There was maybe one or two rock clubs, but for us locals, we weren't we weren't touching it. And uh, and then eventually, like in the late '90s, this little club called Coyotes opened up. And it was basically a hippie bar that held about 75 people. Uh, Motet, we recorded our first record there, just some tracks live. Uh, and it was the only game in town in Denver for probably four, five, six years um, until he grew that place and moved it to a few different spots and eventually opened Cervantes which everyone knows now, which is a mm-hmm. great hang for everybody locally and touring acts coming through. So when I moved to Colorado, it was strictly Boulder in the mountains. Um, right. And I came from Boston. I had a band in Boston that was touring Colorado, you know, a couple times a year. And we would go out and do two, three day runs in uh, each of the mountain towns. We spent like two or three weeks in Colorado at a time. Um, and we kind of followed in the, the footsteps of fish, to be honest with you, they were the first, you know, we were stylistic, we didn't sound like them, but they were the first band to kind of do it yourself, you know, back in, right. in those days, you know, I mean, we're talking pre cell phones and internet. I mean, this is like, it was the wild west coming out here. Yeah. And, Coincidentally, you know, there's like iconic pictures of fish, like carrying, carrying pages, organ, across the street to the other venue and then like back across the street. Yeah. The next day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was, that was pretty epic. You know, when they did that, it was like, Whoa, you can do this. You can tour, you know, without mm-hmm. having a record company behind you or a management company, you can do it yourself. You know, and back in those days we were like, we were literally printing out postcards and having a mailing list party with like 30 of our friends buying a bunch of beer and everyone's putting stamps on like licking stamps and putting them on postcards just to get a leg up on the competition. You know what I mean? Right, like that's what right. you had to do. But if you did that, you know, and fish actually gave us their mailing list the first time we came out here and, and we were the second band to play at the Fox theater in Boulder, which is really? now an iconic venue in, in Colorado and the, in the country. I mean, and, how big uh, was, how big was fish? Like, are we talking, we're talking like, like early nineties fish. Yeah. Well, their first tour was probably 89 or 88. I think, yeah, we I, that's out. what I was Our saying. Because I was like, it was like ninety. Yeah, like we're talking ninety. Got you. You know, like uh, in ninety-one, might have been ninety-one uh, that we played the Fox, and that was our first tour out here. And every show was packed out because we had that mailing list going for us. And the Fox Theater was this gorgeous venue. And man, I can't tell you coming from the East Coast, you know, to walk into a venue and everyone working there is smiling and happy and giving you high fives you're like what's going on this is paradise it's magic you know on the east coast it's like everyone hates their job and it's cold as fuck and right you know what i mean so i mean it's cold uh, in denver too (laughs) it gets cold but the sun is shining and you can jump on your snowboard and enjoy the weather you know what i mean it's like 
it's uh it's it's a whole different world out here so mm-hmm. anyway we we did that for a few years and and i was like why am i traveling two thousand miles to be here you know i'm just staying and yeah. i figured i could start i mean it, it was really off the chain back then in boulder you know we would play the fox theater and next door there was a venue was sold out next door the other side was sold out boulder theater was sold out you know there was a handful of hippie bands that were they were making waves around here but i knew i'd be a big fish in a small pond coming to the scene back then. Um, and, you know, we had a great time just playing around Boulder and the mountains around here and touring Colorado. And, I, you know, I kind of just hold myself up in the Colorado scene for for probably like eight years before I started touring again, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in any real way. And that was after I started the Motet in 98. So, um, you know, it, it felt like a little secret for a while. It felt like a secret, like, you know, like I said, we didn't have cell phones back then. So it was like, we, you know, I was like, see you later, East Coast, Boston. And yeah. I just kind of lost myself out here for a while. And uh, I kind of joke, you know, I tell my friends like Deitch and Mikey Karuba that, uh, you know, I came out here first to make sure it was safe for him and, and make, <laughs> you know, sort of like plow the field, you know what I mean? And right. plant the corn. And now it's like everything's growing strong. So <laughs> Is Mikey uh, out there now, too? <laughs> yeah in fact mikey's my roommate so you know it's a tight oh, really? family at this point yeah he used <laughs> came to, out we, we used to live in hoboken together oh really yeah nice. not yeah. together right he, right he lived in hoboken sure. and and i lived in hoboken and but now he's nice. living with you nice nice yeah in one of the many uh transplants were caught on and uh and, and they're all coming out it seems especially drummers man i don't know what's up but uh Jeff Franca from Thievery Corporation's out here, and he's super mm-hmm. busy and doing all sorts of projects. He's actually playing percussion with us at Red Rocks this year. Nice. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, Fro uh, from Dopapod. Um, was it Isaac just moved out from Talk, drummer for Talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mikey's out here. I mean, it's just crazy how many drummers of all people, uh, you know, of all the sort of, you know, instruments that want to move to colorado right ends up being the drummer so uh it's, it's kind of a big happy family out here for the the drummer scene and um you know there's all sorts of different projects that are being put together and they got a funk night happening down at cervantes so there's lots of opportunities i guess uh, the drummers you know we all want to work and we also love uh living in a beautiful place and getting outside right does it seem like it's the the same I don't want to say same style of drummer, but same sort of genre of music. And I hate using the word jam band. Like I was in a band for years and everybody's like, you're a jam band. I was like, we're not a jam band. Like we improvise, but we're not a, I wouldn't consider us a jam band. Um, Yeah. And, but it's sort of like, it seems like it's that style. Like chances are, if you like the motet, then you probably like lettuce. If you like lettuce, you probably like Papa Gross Funk. If you like Papa Gross Funk, you probably like fish. If you like, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. it's not like, yeah, yeah. Uh, does it seem like it's more of that style of music that is moving out there or is it a wide variety? Uh, it, there is a variety, you know what I mean? It's uh, It's kind of interesting, the different scenes and how they overlap out here. It's almost like there isn't jam bands there's jam audiences you know what i mean and we all do what we always love to do you know for us we love 70s funk music, you know right. early 80s gap band barcase you know 
Tower Power, Stevie Wonder, all that is is where our heart and soul is. We mm-hmm. you know expand on that a little bit and and get in some Afrobeat and and some improv that uh, you know isn't really defined by genre, I guess. But um, you know that doesn't nece- musically doesn't necessarily cross over to Fish, you know, or other jam right. bands. But the audiences love both those you know styles. Right. Our audiences out here, at least, and I think. Part of it is, you know, that those audiences love to dance and they love improvisation and they love a sort of variety uh, mixed set list, you know, with mm-hmm. covers and other things, other surprises, and and also the the musical um, collaborations that happen, you know, right. having special guests sit in and that sort of thing. So I think that's the common denominator with the scene uh, and music, not necessarily. The, you know the style, uh, you know connection, but all, but just all those elements put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, that that audience is out here for sure. I mean, it's it's got to be the most music loving, you know, fan base of anywhere in the country. Yeah, if you ask me. So uh, you know that means that there's a lot of work, you know, and that means mm-hmm. musicians can get out here and get paid and keep busy and right. have a you know, responsive, excited fan base. And that's, that's all you can ask for as a musician. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the economy in general is, is really good out here. So mm-hmm. uh, it just keeps things vibrant. You know, it's not, it's not just the, the environment that's vibrant out here and being in the mountains, but it's just the, the whole scene. So, uh, you know, lots of venues, uh, a lot, you know, lots of opportunities. I think that's really the main thing that, Got mm-hmm. people to come out here. I just read an article for anyone listening that uh, it's now illegal for drummers to move to Cal or to Colorado. So, uh, <laughs> did, so you, did you? Don't, yeah, so don't even don't 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 even try. Uh, don't we're even done. try move. Yeah, there's no more we're drummers done. allowed. Full, so we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you missed every everyone listening missed the boat. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I'm not freelancing like I used to, just because it's it's a little more doggy dog out here. Than right. I had uh, a buddy of mine, Chris, Chris Coolis from OAR. He was saying that, you know, he always appreciated what he had with OAR. He always has appreciated what he has with OAR. And he's like, man, and I moved to Nashville and I appreciate it a thousand times more. He's like, I thought I was just kind of going to go in and like do some side work here and all that. And he was like, man, it is, it is rough, you know, being yeah. a freelancer, especially in a community like that. And he was like, I appreciate so much more what I have with OAR. Yeah. He was like, I already did, yeah. but even more yeah, so. Yeah. I'm sure you feel some of that too. Well, yeah, and I, and I decided to to start my own band, right? Uh, just because of freelancing wasn't really satisfying me, you know, musically and creatively. I needed to have an outlet where I could create music that, um, you know, that really like spoke to you know my heart, you know. And right. I can only get so much of that when I'm I'm playing other people's music. So you know, I'm I tend to do a lot of writing, even if. You know, the music isn't being performed live. Mm-hmm. I like to write and I like to record on, you know, using logic and that sort of thing. So I was uh, going to ask what your writing process looks like. Is it, are you writing on keys? Are you writing on guitar and bass or how, how does that usually happen? No, I, I keep it all in the box at this point. I used to own a yeah. Rhodes piano and a vibraphone and, you know, I spent a lot of time working out my chops on, on vibes, trying to be able to you know, write melodies and, and play chords. But uh-huh. uh, now, I, now I just keep it in the box. It's just easier to work in Logic and use VSTs and, 
and I have a MIDI controller keyboard that I use to to you know to write melodies and chords. But um, some, a lot of times, just you know, I just use the mouse and you know use a sequencer and and just click and try different options. You know, right? Um, I think it's so important for drummers to write. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it opens your ears up so much, and it and it makes you understand what what's happening on the other end, you know. Uh, so it, it's it's such a like great creative outlet for me, anyway. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine not having uh, a way to sort of express that, you know, whatever. Right. I've got other projects that I bring original music to, but um, you know, with the Motet, it's it's pretty satisfying to be able to hone in and write something and have it uh, really you know, translate to the band and then to the audience and, and see it grow. Mm-hmm. How I, I remember reading that you heard, I saw it somewhere or read it somewhere or something that, you know, early on you were into kiss and, you know, rock and heavier <laughs> rock and stuff. So, yeah. Like how did, you, how did it go from that to tower power and the gap band and, and being into, you know, seventies funk and, and all that? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, when I was growing up, you'd hear Chic on the radio. So there was a certain amount of that disco funk that was happening just mm-hmm. all around, you know, and I always got into that. Um, I didn't dig deeper into into funk music until, you know, I was older in my late 20s and 30s. I was really into jazz starting in my late teens. Just my father-in-law had a great album collection and I would start to, you know, just peruse and, and you know, I went from just listening to Beatles and, and other rock acts to listening to Herbie Hancock and Tower Power from his album collection, basically. Mm-hmm. And in realizing, especially with Herbie, it was like, oh, this is the ultimate, you know, jazz and funk you know, improvisation, uh, you know, put together. It was, to me, the, the ultimate uh, form of improvisation was hearing the, you know, the jazz forms and the funk grooves. Combined, mm-hmm. so that's always stuck with me. We have a, a Herbie tribute that we do every year out here, uh, but as you know, it's just you know, I went to Berkeley for four years, so jazz was all around me um, when I was studying, and um, and and I just kind of like I don't know. I've always been sort of curious about different music and uh, different genres and styles, and especially the rhythmic stuff. So mm-hmm. listening to Afrobeat music, getting into Fela Kuti and um, you know, King Sunny Day and all that for a period mm-hmm. of time was exciting. And then I went to Cuba twice with a couple of guys in the band. Amazing. And studied Bata down there. So I mean it's it's endless, you know, when you get into it, it's endless possibilities. You know, and I love I love rhythm music. I just wrote a, a drum piece that me and Jeff and Stant Moore are gonna play at Red Rocks this year. Uh just because, you know, I I love being able to play rhythm music without any other instruments as well mm-hmm. you know it's just drums and uh i honestly think there's not enough of that stuff so you know, I see are you doing a show with galactic or is stan just coming to play with you guys? uh yeah no those, we're, we're co-billing uh red rocks uh in like three weeks nice uh, i knew that you yeah. i knew you were playing red rocks i didn't know that you were doing it with galactic yeah galactic's playing too so uh yeah awesome. i'm just gonna you know take the opportunity to get stanton out and blow a little bit yeah he can do that <laughs> You can do that. <laughs> Impressive. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's so great to like surround yourself with players who set the bar so high. You know, what I mean, when mm-hmm. when Adam moved out of here, I was like, oh shit, like, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a big fish in a small pond anymore, man. This is like, 
the bar just got raised, you know. Right. So, I, I, at that point, it was ironically at that point I, I got this house, uh, you know, that I'm sharing with with Mike and Jeff, and uh, and we're, we're able to play down the basement, you know, twenty four seven really. So I, I started hitting the shed a lot more in the last few years since since all these cats started moving out here. You know? I'm sure. Adam's yeah. like, can I come he, over and play? And you're like, no way, man. Stay <laughs> out of here. You, you are not welcome here. <laughs> I'll, I'll, steal, I'll steal his licks if you give me right. some. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's community, man. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, drummers love playing with other drummers. I see some, yeah. like, competitive vibes with some of the other instruments. But drummers are always just like, yeah, come over. Let's play. Let's share. Let's, let's play together. You know, fuck around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's an, it's funny how the drummer thing is way more community than than other instruments. Yeah, I've always said that that you don't see that anywhere else, and I feel like a lot of I feel like some of the like legacy drummers still have that like competitive vibe a little bit. I feel like it's this this new generation of drummers that are I don't want to say coming up, but this this generation of drummers now. It's all about community. It's all about shedding. It's all about you know sharing ideas. It's all about supporting each other, which I love. I think that is yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how YouTube has changed things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like it's all out there now for anybody in you know Podunk, wherever U.S. or China. You know what I mean? Like, it's all there for people to see. Whereas, you know, twenty, thirty years ago, you really had to make the effort to find the materials, to find the, the, the DVD of, you know, of whoever that was, you know, doing a lesson, you know, uh, trying to find a really good teacher somewhere to, to get you on the, the latest, you know, linear concepts thing. Right. or going to Berkeley seemed like when I was at Berkeley, you know, coming off, coming out of Berkeley and moving up here, it was like, all right, I got all this info. That's really hard to find, you know, and it felt like there was some, something that was you know worthy that that i could teach you know when i was teaching lessons back in the day or whatever that that was uh that was unique to my experience and now it's like it's all on youtube man you can find it all and if you just yeah. make the effort to to spend the time to teach yourself then i mean the ideas are uh, they're all right there for you so you got all these young drummers everywhere that are getting exposed to these ideas and there's there's um you know rhythm concepts and and all the greats that are and all the guys that are breaking down what the greats you know play mm-hmm. uh, it's it's right there for so it's it, there's all these young cats that are coming up everywhere that are that are able to to uh, access the info and and so I think that it kind of like knocks down the, the competitive you know thing because everyone has that info now and so now it's like oh what do you got what do you got what do you got and, you know mm-hmm. it seems much more open to a certain degree. Right. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I never really thought about it that way. Uh, mm. And I, as, as long as you're getting the information and absorbing it too, instead of, you know, headline reading, but that's a whole, yeah. uh, that's a whole right, other topic. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, if I was going to get back into teaching, I would, I would teach somebody how to teach themselves. Cause all I have to do is sit at the kit and the, I, you know, Oh, I need to work on this. I need to work on it. Like, so people come to me for lessons. I'm like, man, there's so many ideas you can just, if you just use a little bit of creative thought, it just goes on and on and on. You know what I mean? Right. For me, for me anyway. So, uh, and then you just throw on some, you, you know, you have an idea, you throw on a YouTube video and then 
all the related videos show up and it's, it's right. endless. I, I think that the main thing is, is sort of like weeding through the, the noise of, of all the information and finding out what works for you. Right. Where, I mean, yeah, the signal where, to noise ratio on YouTube is, yeah, is yeah. out of control. So, it, so yeah, you could spend your life just shedding chop after chop after chop. And it's like, well, is that doing anything for your playing in a, in a format that's going to get you more gigs? Right. Get you talked about and, and make you know you have the ability to create more music as opposed to you know just straight drumming so, what yeah, are some there, of the is, go ahead what are you gonna there, say no there, there is there is some of that direction uh that can be you know someone can sort of mentor somebody else in it was um you know but it's like i said it's all it's all how you use your own creativity to define the direction that you're going Mm-hmm. How do you suggest that people channel that creativity? You sit behind the kit and, you know, this is a very, very big question, but yeah, how, yeah. Do you, how do you start to, how do you start to explore that creativity instead of like going on YouTube, finding a chop, sitting yeah. there, learning it, going back to the YouTube, finding another chop, learning that? Well, I, I suppose it depends on what kind of drummer you are and what you want out of drums. You know, there are guys that just want, to you know be just the badass drummer and 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 you know teach lessons i suppose or do clinics but uh, i think most people want to be in a group and then create music you know and so uh once you have that outlet and having a musical outlet a band um you know that i think really starts to define your decision process about how you want to sound mm-hmm. for me uh the last couple of years last year i've been Every show, every, it doesn't matter what show, the Motet or Side Project or whatever, I take my um, my Zoom recorder and I just stick it behind the drums, and I record the show from behind the drums so I can really hear what I'm doing. And I get a little bit of bass and guitar in there too, which is which is all right. But um, man, what a great way to to really have a stark impression of of your playing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As opposed to you know, recording from the board where things can get a little messy, like putting the, the recorder behind the drums. Then you listen to that. It's like, it becomes very obvious the things you need to work on, the things that aren't musical, the things that are sort of, you know, tweaking the, the grooves or, or making things feel uncomfortable right. or the things that really work, you know, it becomes very mm-hmm. clear. So it, you know, part of it is it's self-reflection. It's, it's like listening back to yourself in a context that is musical that gives you an impression about what you need to work on, you know? Right. So, so that really, to me, cuts out a lot of the things that you might try to work on at home just from exposure to, like we were talking about, YouTube videos or whatever. Um, you know, uh, it really, for me personally, it's like usually it comes, you know, uh, it comes to time and timing and feel, you know, like that's the stuff that, most mostly like you know frustrates me if i'm listening back i'm like oh like i need to work on this work on this right so you know whenever you can record yourself and listen back that is huge you know i think that's such a valuable tool oh my god we have that we have the technology to do this now years ago they didn't so now we have that you you know we should use it because it's it's so eye-opening and you could spend all your you know days shedding without listening back and 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 be playing in a way that's really not you 
know, grooving, and that you wouldn't right. know it, you know, because how it feels to you when you're playing isn't necessarily how it sounds. Once you put the two together, then you know the way you're feeling is sounding good. But right. especially when you're younger, you might have no idea that you know, the way it feels, you know, is actually like pushing the time a lot. You know what I mean? Like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I was feeling like it was killing it. But actually, I was pushing a lot, you know, in that spot. Right. So I got to be aware of that, like how it feels to be in the pocket. So whenever, whatever a person can do, and maybe it's playing along the tracks if you don't have a group. You know, you play along the tracks, record yourself playing along tracks, and then you can hear when things feel good and when they don't. But I think that's the biggest step towards making the decision about what to practice and what not to practice, you know, mm -hmm. especially in this age of endless information. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it's for me, it's like one thing always leads to another. I get on the kit, I start to work on something, and I'm working on a feel thing, you know, and then I'm like, I start to work on a chop within that. And it's like, all right, well, maybe I'll work on the chop and try and keep that feel going or work on, you know, I'm working on a groove and then try and do a fill that relates to that groove. Right. And then try to keep it all locked in, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, there there's different, different, different techniques, you know, for me lately I've been just shedding playing to a click that's set to a, an upbeat, you know, a 16th note upbeat, you know, and the, you know, the basic way is just a quarter note and then shift it by a 16th and all of a sudden it's on the E or on the mm -hmm. uh of every beat. And then I'll, you know, which is a really great way to shed feel because it, you know, if you're just playing the downbeats, your, your subdivisions can be off and inconsistent. You know, and, and that's where you, the feel can get messed up. And so if you mm -hmm. have this, just the upbeat being played on the click, it forces your subdivisions to be consistent. You know what I mean? You're the swing of your triplet. And, right. and the, the cool part is... It's is a lot harder swing. than it sounds, too, when you're playing along yeah. the click and hearing it as, right, the, right, you right. Know, as like the E. Right. It's, it's eye-opening, you know. But when you yeah. do that, then you can swing it. You could swing it hard, you know, triplets, or you could swing it in the middle, or you could swing sixteenths. And it, you know, it all works because you can just slide your time around until that sixteenth falls in that spot, and then you, and then you, you know, because you don't have to set the click to, to swing at all. You just move it yourself, and then that sixteenth right. becomes the swing. And so I'll mm -hmm. actually, you know, create eighth note. You know, what would sound like eighth note uh, cowbell patterns, and then flip them all so they're all upbeat sixteenth note. But it's not just every E or every uh of a beat but you know it moves around and that way it's kind of like you're playing to a percussionist or you're playing right. to the guitar player who's it becomes more musical um you know so that kind of thing once i start started working on that a couple of years ago and then started working on all the chops with that going on it's like all right you know i've got like a plate full of stuff to deal with here mm -hmm. and it just it, for me it becomes endless once you start to be, get creative about how to practice and what to work on. It really is endless. And then it just becomes a matter of doing the things that are going to help you, you know, sound better live, sound better with music, sound better, uh, you know, in whatever context that that's going to make you get you more work, you know, get people mm -hmm. talking about your playing and, and, you know, get the, you know, the, the audience that you're playing for uh, to feel what you're doing.
one of the things that you had mentioned is about setting up the, the cowbell patterns and making sure that it feels like a percussionist or it feels like a guitar player and it's more musical. That was one of the reasons for me, I always used to use a shaker in, you know, instead of a click track because a click track to me just felt really, you know, really sterile. Um, yeah. And, but, but what I'm getting out of that from when you're saying that is like, you ha- this all has to relate back to music. So whatever is going to make you play music better if that's your goal, right? If whatever's going to yeah. make you play music, play more musically, uh, be more creative, have more control over over your feel, your time, your groove, you know, whether it's swinging or whether it's straight, whether you're pushing, pulling, dragging, you have to practice yeah. that in a musical context. You have to practice that. Even if you can't do it around people, you have to at least try to mimic a musical situation inside of your practice room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, keeping that in mind is really important. You know, I think practicing with a certain attitude of, um, you know, focus and, and understanding that the feel and the pocket is, is number one. And even when you're practicing more, you're by yourself and it's easy to get in the bad habits of shedding just for the technical competence, like, okay, faster, faster. You know what I mean? Like kind of always pushing it just, just to be more, uh, you know, competent technically, you know, can actually work against you in your feel, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and getting, and having a mindset of maybe shedding without, um, you know, if you were practicing without a click and you were kind of just being mindless about it, you know, I'm saying this cause I've been there, you know, right. uh, you can get, get into bad habits of, of just kind of being distracted while you're playing. And so, when you get on the bandstand, maybe you have a habit of like thinking a lot about like what you had for lunch or like how much money you're making at the gig or how many people are going to be there or, you know, whatever this person said to you earlier in the day, as opposed to really being present and in the moment when you're playing, you know, music. And, and, and I think that the mindset can be a bad, you know, you can create bad habits with that as well while you're practicing. So mm-hmm. if you, if you don't, Chat, like I think that playing to a click and playing to a click that's a little more challenging forces you to be present and be in the moment as opposed to just kind of like wiling out and, and, and just, you know, playing whatever, uh, you know, as a physical release or, or just as a sort of mindless, you know, practice session. Mm-hmm. Doing those things that kind of force you to be in the moment to concentrate are important, you know. So uh, for me, it's like I always have click going or I'm playing to a track that I'm trying to focus on or doing something that's, you know, that's a memorization skill, whatever it is. You know, I want to make sure I'm practicing and staying present and being Mm -hmm. present while I'm practicing. And that's part of the practice, you know? Yeah. I mean that you saying that I'm thinking back about my own practicing when I was younger and I definitely, I definitely did that. I went in, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have any, sort of concrete idea of even what I was doing. I was on autopilot. I wasn't really, or, you know, I was never using a metronome, all that stuff. And coincidentally, you'd mentioned recording your playing. I was, I, you know, we were in a band and we were touring. So we, we were just like, Hey, we're going to, let's record every show. And I was listening back and I was like, man, why do I sound like I'm like pushing yeah. the band out the door? Like everything yeah. is just rushed and rushed and rushed. And I was like, man, I got to get this under control. You know, yeah. it just, yeah, yeah. 
And then I went yeah, in with right. some some diligent practice and put yeah. you know got with a metronome and did all the things that you're suggesting people do, and it totally changed the way I play. Ch- changed my feel, changed my confidence, changed you know the pocket, changed the groove. All, other people started noticing it. It's a big it's a big shift. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and I think that when you start to do that more and listen back to yourself more, you're less surprised when you do hear yourself back being like whoa i sound like that that is not how i thought it sounded when i was playing you know what i mean right you go through that uh i think when you're younger when you haven't had that experience of listening back a lot and and knowing how it feels sometimes i'll play and i'm like oh i know that that just pushed now i know when i'm pushing or oh i know i missed that beat Mm -hmm. you know i'm less surprised by listening back uh thinking that it sounded one way and then it sounds another because you know and i think that there, there, there's also a sort of fear of listening back because it's like, oh, I don't want to know. You know what I mean? But it's like sure. if you can just face face that fear, get past, embrace it, and get past it, so that everything you play, you own. You know what I mean? And you're mm-hmm. you're even excited. I, I'm almost more excited about hearing the shitty gigs than about hearing the good ones. Because especially with, say, with Motet, when I know how we sound, when we sound good, so it's less interesting to me than when it sounds like, you know, not so good. So maybe it's you know, we're playing a new song we haven't played in a while. Or, you know, I tried some stuff that I haven't tried and I know kind of ate shit on it. But I want to know, like, I want to know how it sounds so, you know, I know how to sort of conquer it. You know, I can mm-hmm. hear what, ha- what happened, you know, which part of the beat was rushing. You know, what was, you know, the dynamic that didn't work. Um, you know, so when you really embrace the sort of fear of like hearing yourself back, then you get ex- almost excited about hearing things that don't work because then you, you have something to work on, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, there's some, you know, I can improve here, you know, which is, it's exciting when you, uh, when you're not sort of afraid of it. Right. I also think as long as you are using it from a positive standpoint, not a, and not a critical thing. Like I think about, I think about it with social media, right? I think if you go on social media and you use it for inspiration and a little bit of motivation, it gets you jazzed up and you're like, Oh, you know, I'm aspiring to be this person or play like this person or something. I think that's great. I think it's a great tool to use. If you go on there and it's detrimental and you, you know, you get off Instagram feeling worse than when you got on and you're like, I suck. I'll never be that accomplished. I'll never play that well, all that stuff. Then you need to get rid of Instagram. So yeah, yeah. Right. If you're looking at your yeah. playing the same way, <clears throat> I think if you use it as a positive tool to say this is great, like this is a way to for me to put a magnifying glass on my playing and really get better, or you can yeah. sit around and listen to it and be like, I sound like shit, I'm horrible, and all that, you know, which is yeah, not yeah, the thing to do. Yeah, it's not a positive way to sort of see it, and it's a challenge for all of us. You know, I think that it's good for people to know that all of us go through moments of like ah you know mm-hmm. the frustration and especially in a in this sort of comparative world you know it's like now that there is all this info out there and all these players that are crushing it right at your fingertips you know i think it used to be easier to be the you know the best player on your block and then you wouldn't have to think about it you're just i'm a badass you know now it's like well you <laughs> hear all these you know you hear a fucking 12 year old just you know slamming it somewhere it's right. just like, God damn it. You know, when you get to comparative mindset, then yeah, it's challenging. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> you're like, you like, see the kid and you're like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's psychology. There's no doubt. There's psychology built into all of it. Uh, but it, it's the most important thing I think to, is to sort of 
understand and realize like we're all in this together you know what i mean we're all mm-hmm. we're all trying to like raise the bar together and it pushes everybody to to take their craft seriously and to and to find the joy in whatever it is because you know it, it's a beautiful thing just to play one and three on the kick and two and four on the snare and have it feel good mm-hmm. you know what i mean how you know you got if you have your 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 tones together you know the sound of your drums and your time is good there's no reason why ace on a hi-hat kick on one and three and snare on two and four can't be the most badass best feeling thing ever and then finding joy and knowing that you're able to do that is that's a beautiful thing that's what it's all about you know what i mean yeah. everything else is icing on the cake so uh you know wrapping your head and and your your you know your purpose around that concept i think is really important because it's really like the joy of making music and making rhythms and knowing that we're part of a lineage of you know drummers and musicians that have been doing this for you know the decades for a drum set at least and we're part of that lineage that's that's a beautiful thing you know like we're all in it together mm-hmm. and it's important to, to sort of understand that you know have you seen the new promark select balance so select balance gives the drummers the ability to fine-tune a standard stick model to fit their playing style let me give an example if you play rock or country or metal then you can use the Promark Forward Balance. It gives you enhanced power and speed. But if you play jazz and funk and gospel, then you can use the Rebound Balance. And it gives you rear-weighted balance to give you better finesse and more agility. The best part is they're made by Promark. They control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick, which means you get unmatched level of quality and consistency. Plus, they're always paired by weight and by pitch, so you know that there is zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your bag. Check them out by going to promark.com. Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonicleer Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonicleer Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonicleer Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. What do you think from a psychology standpoint and a mindset standpoint? For me, I I think that mindset is one of the most important things, whether it be for just everyday life, drumming, career, it doesn't matter. You know, I think that a lot of it comes down to your mindset. Is there, is for you, is there anything, anything that you can suggest people do to sort of work on their mindset or just maybe, maybe, you know, things to keep in mind when they're going through this process or sort of markers that you have in your brain to sort of know when you're drifting into a negative mindset or or you know going somewhere where you shouldn't yeah i mean i for me it's personally i need to like do other things besides drumming you know because i could always shed more i could always work on music more um you know so for me getting on my bike for an hour and a half a day and you know and, and i usually listen to music while i do it which is pretty awesome because 
it's inspiring. I know it inspires me when I do that, but, um, you know, being healthy and physical and doing and getting outside and, and finding like, you know, happiness and doing something else besides that gives me some energy to coming back to it. So that's, that's one non-musical thing, like being, not forgetting, like being healthy, you know what I mean? And getting outside that, that to me is, is pretty huge. Um, but you know, also like having a purpose in, in music that, uh, that you're knowing you're part of a team, you know, being in a band, you're part of a team and you're fulfilling your, your part of that, your purpose in that team is, is really important. So, um, you know, everybody's different. I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, what the technique is for that runs across the board for people, you know, to, to stay out of some kind of negative cycle when it comes to playing music. But, uh, you know, for me, it all comes back to, to time and feel and timing, you know, and making music feel good. Because mm-hmm. if you, people have to realize that, like, you know, n- people don't really, I mean, it depends on what genre of music you're playing, I suppose, but no one really cares about chops compared to feel and time, you know? And you could play the simplest thing and just play that. And the other players in the band are going to be, 99% of the time, they're going to be perfectly happy because they can do what they need to do on top of that because it feels good and the time is good. You know, and uh-huh. and if you can do whatever you, the thing you've been shedding, in addition to that, and keep it in time and keep it feeling good, then that's you know that's amazing, and that's you know that's that's part of your path. But to to satisfy the the audience, the band, the the music, the time has to be number one. And I feel like especially younger players forget that, and they don't realize why it's not quite working. You know. Uh-huh. And even in the studio, and it really comes down to the the time and the feel, you know. And and a feel really is about the subdivision for the most part. It also has to do with you know your dynamic and all of that, and even the the tone of your drums. But subdivision and time, you know, I call it time and timing. You know, it's those the two things are the most crucial. And and usually that comes from playing simpler, playing less. You know, and usually if you, that stuff is together, then your pattern, whatever pattern you're playing is going to work, at least to a degree that you can then make a decision about changing it up. But if those things aren't together, then you're, you're never going to think the pattern you're playing works because, you know, you might not even notice what it is that's not working with the time and the timing. But because of that, the pattern doesn't work then you're like, then it's frustration after that like oh, i don't know what to play and yada yada you know mm-hmm. so so for me um you know as far as like making every situation i come out of feel good because the people i'm playing with are psyched it's concentrating on those two things you know especially the mm-hmm. time you know making sure things just sit just right and you realize that most of your favorite players for the most part are just playing time they're not trying to do all the shit but then when they have the opportunity to do it you know then you know it's even better you know it's like icing on the cake Mm -hmm. so so you know i don't know bring going back to your question about you know how do you you know feel good about you know or not fall into the negative cycle of of you know sort of judging yourself or the compare the comparative 
uh, vibe, you know. I think that having that as your purpose first, serving the music first, is always going to go beyond, you know, you being like, oh, I'm not as good as this guy. I'm not as good as this guy. I should be able mm-hmm. to do this. You know, it's like if, if the time and the feel is good and it's making people happy, then everything you do on top of that is icing on the cake. And even if it's not working, you know, you, you can always fall back to that the knowledge of like, you know, my purpose in drumming is, is, is the feeling and making people feel good, you know, right. making the music feel good. You know, it's funny, <laughs> I w- I'm going to say 99% of drummers say all of that. Oh, the time's the most important thing. You know, yeah. like I'm all into the pocket. I like I love how Steve Jordan plays and Steve Gadd and you know Aaron mm-hmm. Sterling and all these other people. And then everything that they post or everything that you see a video of them is them blazing all over the place. So why <laughs> you know what I mean? So why what is this sort of we understand what the it's sort of like everyone knows how to get six pack abs right but it's like but you have to do it too you can't just be like i'm all about six pack abs so yeah right how why why the dichotomy do you think why do you think that people are they know what the right thing is to do or they know they understand what feels good but then we also have this like thirst for more for more speed like yeah. you had mentioned or more chops yeah, or like yeah. more ridiculous yeah. patterns and all that kind of stuff why do you think yeah. there's this this separation there the human condition <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah it's like the psychology behind that you know it's like the firework you want to show off you know all the flash and the fireworks just to like make an impression i mean who knows maybe it's the difference between going to see you know fast and furious or going to see some you know memento or some other movie that's got some other deeper you know sort of uh plot behind it or or actual acting and that sort of thing you know what i mean uh Uh, yeah it's it uh, there's a lot less patience for that today i think you know it's unfortunate but but you pull any of this any of these people who are like blazing all over the place and you're like who are your favorite drummers they're like oh steve gadd uh, yeah yeah like james gadson right (laughs) james gadson you're like then why don't you play like (laughs) yeah well that's the nature of of internet and social media you know what i mean right like i try and stay away to be honest with you you know i'll make a post here and there on facebook Mm -hmm. my girlfriend's trying to get me on instagram and i'm like man i have no i can't wrap my head around it you know i don't have the bandwidth to like you know i know a lot of people do you know and and i know it's important for a lot of people's careers to to spend time on instagram and and to make little stories and promote themselves that way you know uh, mm-hmm. maybe i'm just old school i just I, I just can't wrap my head around having the time to do that and to be thinking about that all the time when the phone's in my hand and like you know what i mean i should be i suppose but uh for me it's like it's just a different world mm-hmm. so yeah i can't i can't I, I don't know like i think it's just the human condition to want to like impress you know do all the flashy shit to like make an impression right so i mean that's an interesting co- i'm sure that Every, you know, people don't do it just be, because they think they're going to get hired for that. Well, maybe some do. Maybe think, you know, they think yeah, oh, people will see, see how good I am. But I think, yeah. you know, we, it's, I had this conversation with my wife yesterday. It's like, women don't dress well for men. They dress well for other women. You know what I mean? Like yeah. guys don't, guys don't care what you're wearing. Right. So yeah. I think about that with, with drummers, like drummers don't play chops for songwriters. They play chops for other drummers. <laughs> So that other drummers can be like, oh, yeah, exactly. 
Ooh, check that out. Yeah, exactly. 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 Maybe one day. Yeah. We'll, I mean, it's a different. We'll figure this out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, man. <laughs> Maybe not. I think it's just the way it's the way of the world. And I think that you know now that 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 information is just at your fingertips all the time. It's just you know it's just a lot more prevalent. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. For 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 me, it's like you know, and I love you know listening to Adam. You know, Dyche, he's he's the master of, of playing feels and just playing for the music, even though he has insane chops available to him at any point. You know, yeah, he's really really good. You know, he's a great example of of that. Uh, being able just to sit on a pocket and making that the most important thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, for me, and I, and I, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of drummers out there that, that are mostly freelancing and, and playing for other drummers and maybe doing clinics and that sort of thing. And, and that's important to their, yeah. to their, the, the optics for them. For me, I'm glad that, you know, the most important thing for me is, is how I sound in, in the motet and, and how I sound in my band and serving the music for my band, you know, because um, you know, that's really where my heart and soul is. And, and I'm just as happy playing simple and knowing that it's serving the music uh, than, than sort of prioritizing the, the flashy shit. Right. I also think the flashy shit is a lot more fun to practice. You know, it's a yeah. lot more fun to practice like some inverted paradiddle pattern at, you know, 180 than playing two and four at 45. Exactly. You know. Yeah. But I mean, we have to do there's it. No, there's you know? no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's done. all, it's all part of the thing. You know. And I think drummers are, you know, we're excitable people, so we like to like get physical when we play. Yeah. And you see those. You see the gospel guys, you know, and and you see like the drum sheds with three or four of them playing. You know what I mean? And going, it's just like it's like sports, man. It's like watching basketball. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, yep. you want to see that flashy stuff too yeah yeah you don't want to see a uh you don't want to see a, a pitcher's duel you want to see home runs you know yeah <laughs> exactly so you exactly. I, w- I want to touch a little bit about about growing a band because it's really interesting because the last uh the last sort of two episodes were with you and then adam deitch both guys both of you guys uh obviously in the in the colorado area but grew bands like started bands and grew them into successful bands. And I think it is so important for drummers to understand that. And I did the same thing. So I like, it's always been near and dear to my heart of like, if you want to gig more or you want to have creative control or you want to control your, your career, then you should start a band and you should try to grow that band. And yeah, instead of sitting around and waiting for the phone to ring. So can you, and I know it's been, you know, it's been a long time, that you guys have been building this band over the years, but can you talk to me just about some of the stuff that worked for you guys or some advice that you have for drummers? Cause the first thing people say, well, I don't know. I don't know who to hire. I don't know how to do it. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Well then go find a guitar player or yeah. find someone. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you have to be tenacious. You have to be uh, somewhat uh, outward, you know, and uh, proactive. But mm-hmm. but again, it's like if, if that's your desire and if you want to not even grow a band, but grow music, you know, grow a concept, grow an idea, musical idea, then you have to spend some time doing it and you have to spend time, you know, consistently doing it. And it doesn't have to be every day. You don't have to be like, oh, my band needs to be 
you know, this popular by this time. You just have to do it consistently. It might even be like a gig a month. If you have one show to look forward to with your band, with your concept, no matter how far in the future it is, you know, maybe it's like in six weeks, it gives you something to look forward to and just something to work towards. You know, you work towards that set list. You work towards those tunes that you've been shedding. You know, you work toward mm-hmm. these these cover tunes that you've been working on, you know, whatever the parts might be, or you work towards the song that you're writing and, and whatever feel you're trying to develop with that song. Um, you just have to be consistent and, and do it consistently. And it really is, um, you know, it's kind of like life changing because you can, it's so satisfying to, like you said, grow something, to build something up, to realize you can take something from zero and, and, and build it slowly over time if, if need be. So mm-hmm. for me, when I moved to Colorado, I just started calling guys for jam sessions. I had a house where we could play, and I would just, you know, meet one guy and be like, "Hey, you want to play?" It was just jam, you know. And I would get guys to come over to my house, you know. And basically, that's how I started my community of players out here. Um, and then eventually, slowly, you know, just started booking gigs. I'd book a gig at a coffee shop. We played for tips. And I book a gig cover or, tunes or original tunes. Yeah, when we first started, well, you know, my intention was to was to do more songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started as like playing jazz tunes, maybe play straight ahead or maybe play acid jazz style. I would, you know, create these arrangements where I go from, you know, Billy's bounce into, you know, while you needing or something, you know, kind of corny like that. But I would, you know, for me at the time, and this is the '90s, acid jazz was kind of a you know bigger thing. And it was like, oh, like I love jazz tunes, but I want to play funk. So I was creating these ways to combine the two. Um, and eventually, I just uh, called one of my gigs Dave Watts Motet instead of the Dave Watts because I was tired of changing the poster. You know what I mean? It's just like, let's just call it the Motet, and then I can be any size band. So the 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 I'd say the the initial piece of advice I'd give somebody. Is is if you're going to create something, then don't change the name. You know, keep the name the same. Because I had been into a, a number of groups up to that point, and every time the band members changed, we changed the name. I had to change the name, or you know, it was like starting from scratch every time. Yeah. So I was like, all right, um, I'm just gonna, you know, find a, a name that uh, that's just gonna stay the same no matter who the players are, so I can keep at least that part of it growing. You know. At first, it was called the Dave Watts Motet, but then I didn't want it to come across like it was a drummer. It was my band, and I had a backing band. I wanted it to sound like a band, mm-hmm. so uh, without it being a focus on one person. So I just changed it to the Motet. You know, I was like, you know, no matter what I do, you know, the band's gonna be called the Motet, even if we play different genre, different style of music, different musicians, because I knew players are going to come and go especially when you're a younger band you have less uh, security and finances to support the players some guys are going to come and go you know but as the band started to pick up steam and things uh, you know sort of became more profitable the more consistent the players became um, so it's you know originally uh, you started out probably we had like 30 different players in the band over the course of the first five years Wow. You know, but now we've had the same lineup for for three or four years with most of the players being consistent for the last dozen years. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's just slowly over time, 
you can build it up. But I think that, you know, keeping the name the same, keeping, you know, some vision in there for, for me, it's like playing rhythm music, playing music people can dance to. That's always been my goal. You know, right. Having space for improvisation, that's always been my goal. So we've had that thread, but musically it's shifted and morphed. And actually, I think that's kept things interesting for our audience and interesting for me to have the music have been so varied over the years. You know, when we started out, we were like doing this acid jazz thing. And then I got a couple of percussionists involved and we were doing more Afro-Cuban, Afro-Brazilian, um, you know, trying to get the world music thing happening in the percussion side of things more focused on. Um, and then we kind of got into Afrobeat and electronic music. It just always shifted and morphed with the different players and the different interests going on. So, you know, that flexibility, I think, has been really important for the staying power of the band you know mm -hmm. but uh but the other the, you know the other piece is is uh i think drummer-led bands have always been interesting uh on the arrangement so i think drummers are really good at arranging music at mm -hmm. creating uh forms that 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 are interesting that aren't just you know a a b a kind of thing or verse chorus like drummers tend to get a good sense of how the energy is flowing in a song. So, uh, you know, I think drummer-led bands always find, uh, they always have interesting ways to arrange the music and, and have sort of a creative flow to a set and, and to a song. Um, and so I think that's that's worked to our advantage as well. So, you know, any drummer that's like looking to, to start a project, I think it's just a matter of, of being consistent and maybe even uh you know having some skills in 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 writing and and um and uh being able to write out charts to to give to the other guys and uh definitely skills in working with logic and, and sequencing programs so that um you know so that you can sort of present the music to the other players mm -hmm. uh, which is something that's more recent for me uh you know back in when I started the band, it was all handwritten charts, and I would write out charts, work things out on a, a vibraphone or in the road, and not the other musicians. But for a drummer to write music is is great. I think it's going to help them out, um, you know, in their own can, playing. Can you but, say that? Can you say that again, real quick? The internet kind of got a little weird for a second. So you were saying? Uh, oh yeah. Okay. You said originally it started out as handwritten charts, and then what did you say from there? Yeah, I started out as handwritten charts, and then eventually I started using, um, you know, app-based programs, uh, DAWs, and that sort of thing to record music at home and then present it as. Um, what I love about Logic is you can actually print out music if you sequence it all out <clears throat> using a sequencer in Logic. It'll actually show you the score and uh, give you the music that you can put into another program like Sibelius, or, or maybe even print it out and give it to the other guys in the band. Uh, but, you know, it's hard for a drummer to lead from behind the kit, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's something I've always found, is like trying to lead from behind. Like if you're a horn player, you can walk around and tell people things. You're trying to manipulate the music live as a drummer from behind the kit, it's tricky. Uh, so you have to be really clear with the music. Uh, and have skills and 
and rock music and, and being able to write parts out on paper or have recorded clearly through a you know, program like Logic, I think, is, is pretty crucial so that the music is really clear for the other, the other players. Yeah. I think that's solid advice, man. And I, you know, and even, even if someone now is struggling or not struggling, but maybe they don't have the skill set to start writing music right now. One, I would say, you know, start working on that. But then also getting, start getting around other people who have that skill set and maybe you can write with them and you can learn, you know, you can learn that process uh, with them or from them. Or maybe you just have a writing partner and they help you write all the tunes and, and they're in the band or maybe they're not even in the band. But I think yeah. that if you don't have the skill set, it's not an excuse to sit around and say, oh, I don't have the skill set. I'll just I'll just uh, I'll, you know, so I, I guess I can't do that. No. Yeah, no, I mean, you can teach something, you know, the resources that are out there. But, but like you said, yeah, collaborating. I mean, honestly, collaboration is one of the most um, rewarding parts of, of having a group, you know. And and being a band leader and being in a band, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me, collaborating, like, that's how I've written a lot of my songs, not just you know, having everything figured out, but going into rehearsal and having just a baseline, having just a melody or some chord changes and recording a rehearsal and listening back and, and finding the parts that really work and, and messing with them or, or even going in the studio and doing the same thing and then taking the parts back and, and reorganizing them to me is one of the most satisfying things about working with other musicians. So, I mean, I think, yeah, you, not being sort of intimidated or, wary of the collaborative process but trying to get other musicians you know over to the house or to the space to to work on stuff together is is really one of the most rewarding things and and such a great place to to find growth in your own playing you know Mm -hmm. i i agree getting around people uh yeah it's a social thing right it is i I mean music is a social thing it's like you can't have a conversation in your in your living room by yourself all the time yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) sometimes we talk exactly (laughs) yeah right (laughs) i think i think it used to be more of that in some ways and there's a lot more like people kind of uh doing their own things you know with with all the tools that you can do that at home or whatever but i think that you know bringing it to to other people and connecting and communicating with other people and having that process be um, sort of open and inviting is, is one of the best parts of music, really. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about, that community. Yeah. So where, I know that you're not, uh, you're not on social media much, but where, where's the best, people, pl- uh, best place for people to find out where you're going to be at, where you guys are touring? I know you guys are going to be at Red Rocks here soon, but... Um, I know that yeah. you guys you guys tour regularly, so where's the best place to just go to the website? Yeah, demotet.net.com, whatever. Our Facebook page. It's got all the events and, and that sort of thing set up. So you can just go to those those spots and, and find out where we're coming. We'll be all over uh, in the fall, we'll be all over the east and southeast. So there's there's lots of opportunity to see us play coming up this year. Awesome. Yeah, man. Well, Dude, I appreciate you, uh, you know, us doing the the whole reschedule thing and and moving things oh, around. Yeah. So I I appreciate yeah, course, that. Yeah, and, man. Uh, just from a from a personal note, I I love the motel. I've been listening to you guys for years, so glad. Oh to, man, glad to have Thanks, you. Thanks, dude. I th- and I I was just I was talking to somebody yesterday about it, and 
I think that we played together like in the early 2000s, maybe like 2004, 2005. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because we were sort of in that like in that scene with like Greyboy and Umphreys and and uh, and we did a couple of shows with Soul Live and some other and I'm like and Papa Gross Funk and I feel Who was like the group. The band was called Monacy, M-O-N-A-C-Y, and I and oh. I don't remember. I just feel like we were on a on a bill together, a couple of bills together. I don't necessarily, I don't remember. Yeah, but, but it yeah, seemed yeah. I f- I could be right, I could be wrong. But uh, again, from a personal standpoint, I've been listening to you guys for years, so it was great to actually be able to sit down, have a conversation with you, and just let you oh, know man. how much I I love the the music that you guys have been putting out over you know, whatever, two decades or so. So, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. I, I appreciate that, dude. It's good to, to talk to someone who's been around and, and realize where we've come from, you know what I mean? Because things have changed quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's amazing to see that, well, the scene growing for sure and seeing bands that like you've, you've played with or you've seen in smaller, you know, in smaller settings that are growing and growing. Like I remember when OAR was, you know, playing colleges and, like I used to go see yeah. the revivalists at you know small places, and now they're you know now they're blowing up, and yeah. it's just you guys, you know, it's just it's it's great to see, and you it makes you realize what goes into building something. It doesn't happen in a week, it doesn't happen in a year. It takes a long uh, time. It takes a long time. Yeah, you got to be tenacious. I mean, there was definitely periods where I was not practicing at all, and I was just doing the business, you know, answering like two hundred emails a day, you know, right. trying to like maintain uh stability over the business side of things but you know all the while knowing that it was you know going to pay off we're going to get the management and the the you know the booking scene together so that i wouldn't have to do all that mm-hmm. but yeah you have to sort of dedicate yourself to to other aspects of it once you get to a certain point which are you know not necessarily the music side but the business side um and it can be a little bit daunting or frustrating because you're like oh what am i doing here but you know eventually once i really sort of embraced that part of it i could see the the positive shift there and and how things were running more smoothly and then how things were growing and and then eventually having it being taken over by the management is really super satisfying you know yeah well congratulations on success man i wish you continued success as well and hopefully you guys Make it out west here soon. I'd love to come yeah, see Nick. you guys again. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll be in LA soon. I, I think in in uh, September. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's link up. We shall. And uh, safe travels out there on the road. And Dave, thank you again, man. I sincerely appreciate it. All right, Nick. Man, I appreciate it too, bud. So she ain't got no more time Every day we wait to play this game I want the party wasting too much time I want these guys and get some tries And soon I know we'll see the devotion I'm about to take my own to take my own That 
was Dave Watts. And for all the show notes, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 498. And be sure you're following along on social, on Instagram, all of that fun stuff, because we are doing this 500th episode giveaway that we'll be announcing on the 500th episode. So you want to, or when the 500th episode comes out. So I'll talk about it here on the podcast, on social and in the email and all that kind of stuff. So you don't want to miss that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I will be talking to you soon. Peace.